Okay, so as we wrap this study up, we're now, I think, if I've counted correctly, and that's not a guarantee, I think we're roughly in the fourth, um, the fourth section of this. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, and 1 Timothy chapter 5, 19 through 21, kind of getting um, some clarity around the elders and leadership within a church and how church discipline um, is to be considered in, in all those contexts. Um, today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at the entire thing. Um, I said we were going to get done today. Um, that's <laughs> mileage may vary kind of situation there as well. Um, I want to start us out just kind of replanting our minds on kind of some some big ideas that I want us to to be considering as we as we consider church discipline uh, more broadly. Two major areas here, one purpose and then one application. So when we consider uh, the purpose of church discipline, as I've said each time, the purpose of it ultimately is for restoration and reconciliation. We are not seeking um, to call one another to anything other than repentance. Um, we all know very clearly that each and every one of us are imperfect right um, even that's one of the things that makes something like teaching a class like this uh, difficult is because I stand here teaching it knowing that I fail just like the rest of you fail and that there are none of us who are perfect here and also realizing that um, because we have been called together by God to walk this Christian walk together, that there's a responsibility that I have to each of you, and there's a responsibility that each of you have to me, that when we see one another not upholding the things that we claim, right? When If you see me preach one thing and practice another... You have a responsibility to me to come to me and be praying before you do that my heart would be drawn by the Spirit and called to repentance and restoration because what happens if we don't do that? What happens if we seek for anything else from one another other than repentance? leading to restoration and reconciliation like we can get we can get far outside like church can be, can become something other than what it's intended to be right um, so I want to encourage each and every one of you this is not like the type of encouragement where we ought to go get our pitchforks and be looking and seeking out one another's sins to have, you know, like we're, this is not witch trials territory, right? But I, I do want to encourage you because if we live life together long enough, we will see one another stumble along the way. And the thing that I want to encourage you to do is not to overlook it, right? Not to think, well, he'll get his act together later. 
but to do what Scripture calls us to do, right? Um, and if we do that, I, I do believe that um, most oftentimes we will find ourselves in situations um, where offense is handled without any need for escalation, right? Without any need uh, to gather witnesses, without any need to bring it before the church, without any need to put someone aside. Um, so let's be quick to act in that stage one type of atmosphere as quickly as possible um, because we can save one another um, many pains, I believe, if we, if we do so. Uh, second purpose here is to keep sin from spreading. Um, what we're going to see uh, as we look at this practical example today, I want you to be paying attention to this. Uh, particularly, we find in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? This idea that we're going to dig into when we get into this leaven, leavening the whole lump, is this idea of sin spreading. Um, so one purpose of church discipline is to head that off. Uh, a third is uh, to protect the church, and this is not like when I say this, I feel the need to go over and above in indicating that, that what I mean by protecting the church is not by protecting um, a few individuals within that church that might hold position, right? This is not what we mean by protecting the church. What I mean by protecting the church is protecting you, each and every one of you, right? When, we, when church discipline is done properly, you are protected by it. And this is why God has given this as something that we ought to follow, um, even though at times it will be um, probably extremely difficult. Um, the other is it... So protecting the church and the honor of Christ, when we, when we follow this, when we do as Scripture calls us to do here, Christ is honored even in the way that we stumble and stand back up. Uh, so those are some of the purposes here. When we consider again the application of this, uh, one, this should start as small as possible. The smallest group that is possible here would be, um, well, um, I would say one, like, you alone would be the smallest possible group. Stay in God's Word. Let the Word convict your heart, and it could save you even from someone coming to you and pointing out something that they've seen in you that is not in accordance with Scripture. So start small. like Spend time yourself in God's Word, um, and then... Um, as, as these things, as we live life as believers together, um, if you see me stumble, um, if you do this for me, I, I will do, we, will, we ought to do the same for one another, is that um, we will hold one another accountable. And in doing so, um, God's church is honored, God's church is protected. Start small. That doesn't mean it's going to necessarily end there um, escalate appropriately in accordance with scripture is another point of application here 
until there is resolution. So we should be seeking, following Scripture, seeking for resolution to be had here. Um, third point in application is that leaders, we, we saw last week, leaders are rebuked openly uh, before the entire church. So where, um, where there might be some freedom in how that's handled for people who don't fall into a position of leadership, um, scripture is very clear when it comes to the rebuke of someone who is in leadership, um, and, and we looked at that last week. Uh, the fourth point of application here is that we should not, um, that, that we should, when someone repents, they should be restored to fellowship in the church um, immediately, like true, there is a wisdom to be had here, right, because We've all seen and probably ourselves have had points in our lives where our repentance was not true, right? So there's a wisdom here in seeking out true repentance. Um, but once true repentance is had, fellowship ought to be uh, restored uh, while the work of reconciliation continues. Um, with those in mind, let's read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Um, this is, as we're going to see, a case where things did not get handled as they ought to have been handled. Um, and we find ourselves um, in the opening of this chapter with Paul here having received a report of the failings of the church here. Um, at the point that this has been reported to him, uh, we ought to very clearly gather that it wasn't handled correctly within the church to begin with. For it to have reached someone who wasn't there in person, things have gone astray, right? Um, so we find, we find ourselves kind of looking inside and and as this thing is kind of blown up to the point that Paul um, has has heard about this thing that's going on um, we can we can conclude really quickly that step one step two step three was not followed um, appropriately um, and you, you might say well how do you know that it wasn't followed appropriately as we look at this thing after it's blown up we can look at the pieces that lie around almost like someone who would come after a bomb has gone off and they put together the pieces after things have been blown apart and they can come to conclusions about um, who did that particular action. In the same way, we can examine from what um, we can see of the rebuke that Paul sends um, in this letter here in chapter 5 uh, to get an idea of how things went um, sideways. And from that... Um, there should be some warnings that we gather for ourselves uh, along the way, as well as like a um, like an understanding that um, we could be here. We could find ourselves in similar types of situations, um, and it's if like I look around and I see faces that have been here for a hot minute, and um, we've. We've dealt with these types of things here, right? And this is one of those things where when I consider um, the weight of 
teaching this, like I have seen these things go sideways. May God show mercy to us as we dig into his word that we can learn from our own mistakes, um, collective mistakes, and that we can safeguard ourselves against these types of things in the future. So let's read. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a, man's, for a man has his father's wife. Okay, so we get in this first kind of opening sentence here, we get an idea of the sin that's taking place here. Uh, it's a kind of sexual immorality, specifically speaks here to a man having his father's wife. Um, it doesn't here speak of this being his mother, um, so this is likely not necessarily incest here, um, but that his father had a wife and now this wife is this man's wife. Um, as we step in here and we consider this, the type of sin that we're, that we're finding ourselves coming in contact with in this particular um, church, um, I think that we should also consider that we find ourselves in a culture in a time in which um, many churches have been and will continue to wrestle with open sexual immorality within their church. I don't think that it's a surprise that it happened in Paul's day, I don't think that it's a surprise that it's likely happened from then until now, and I don't think that it's a surprise that God has given this as the example of things going um, off the rails and, and how to handle it here. Um, I want to look at the very first thing that he says in verse 2 here, and I want us to consider this. Um, so he points out this sin, and then he starts here, and you are arrogant, and you are Arrogant. Another way that you could say this is, and you are tolerant and think that you are somehow morally superior because of it. You have overlooked this sin, and in overlooking it, you've considered yourself more holy, righteous, able to discern the truth than God Himself. And we find... We find ourselves in a time where there are many churches who are arrogant and have overlooked sin that is clear in Scripture as being sin and by overlooking it, they have considered themselves more tolerant 
more holy, more righteous, more in line with the times. And yet Scripture would call them arrogant, perhaps would call us arrogant in the things that we overlook and tolerate amongst ourselves. And instead, he says, so, and you are arrogant? And then he poses this question, ought you not rather to mourn? And then I think about this, as I think about like his approach to handling this thing, as it's gone off the rails, as there's bits and pieces of this church's dirty laundry spread so far as that the word of it would come to him, and he sees the arrogance of this church and he calls it out. Do not tolerate sin. We ought not ourselves to tolerate sin. What are we to do instead? What should you do instead? What if you found yourselves tolerating clear and open sin? Mourning. Mourning is what you should be doing instead of tolerating. Lord, how did we get here? How have we ignored you? Throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, you will find those who God has called to Himself falling and stumbling. Throughout Scripture, there is not one man in Scripture apart from Christ that we get a picture of His life and we don't see His stumbling. Not one, not one man has ever lived holy and righteous. Not one. What do we find, though, in those who are called by Christ to Christ? What do we find? What do we find? Contrition over sin, mourning. Mourning and repentance. Now, clearly not when they're in it, right? But when God impresses upon them and their, their hearts see sin for what sin is, what happens? Mourning, repentance, mourning comes from this. We ought to seek that our hearts be broken over the sin that we tolerate in our own lives, amongst one another, it should cause us to be broken to the core, not arrogant. If we find ourselves when we consider our own sin, if we find ourselves when we consider the sin that might be visible within our church, within our friends and family, when we see that, if it leads us to anything other than brokenness, then we find ourselves in this place of arrogance. Yes, yes. Psalm 51 is a picture of brokenness. Now, this, this comes after much sin, right? Much sin that, like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that someone that would, that would be given this title of someone that is a man after God's own heart, that he would find himself captured in sexual sin so deep that he would put on the front lines the man's or the woman's husband 
to cover up this sin, yet it is God Himself who is merciful to His people. This is what we ought to get as we consider this. Like this rebuke that Paul is sending to this church is the mechanism by which God's mercy is being shown to these people. They are in much sin here. Much arrogance has come from that sin And yet it is God who is worthy, holy, righteous, loving. It is Him who reaches in. And sometimes, sometimes He does that with a warm embrace. And sometimes He does that by saying, You are a sinner worthy of death. Repent. Repent. Be in mourning. Sometimes it's through a warm embrace and sometimes... The latter part of verse 2 here. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay, so what is he calling for here? He's calling for what should have already happened along the way. And what's clear did not happen because of the arrogance of the church is that this man should be put away from the church. He claims to be a believer and he is in no way repenting and following after Christ. Put him away. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul is now, this has already escalated all the way to the separating yourselves that we were looking at earlier. Verse 3. For though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Wait a second, Paul. Judge not lest you be judged. You don't you can't judge me, only God can judge me, right? Like this is the response that the that we give, right? But Paul here has announced judgment. He's pronounced judgment on this person. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, I want us to look at this particular statement here and I want us to understand as we consider why when, when church discipline Escalates from the from the the sin that you had that you did not deal with, and now someone's come to you over this, and you are unrepentant in that sin, and they come together with witnesses collecting the evidence, and still you are refusing to see it, and it comes before the church, and still your stubborn arrogance has got you where you are not in a place that you are going to repent and the church separates itself from you this is for a very specific reason and i would say here that god is wise in understanding our hearts and god is also wise in understanding the heart of one who will not listen to the people that he calls brothers and sisters okay this is there's a there's a reason that god wants us to separate ourselves from a person like this. And this is for their own good. Okay? And we've seen this. You've seen this play out. Perhaps you didn't understand that it played out like this because oftentimes what happens is that it's not the church that sets a person apart, but that person just leaves altogether. 
right? That person finds themselves in sin. It has not been addressed. No one's brought it up. And they just find themselves at the end of the result of that sin, leading them to spiritual death within the body of believers, and they separate themselves by their own accord, right? Sin going unaddressed leads in this direction. So they separate themselves. And what happens? Do they find themselves strengthened by separation from other brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that ever a result of us separating ourselves from one another? No. In their arrogance or stubbornness, or there's, you will not be strengthened in Christ apart from bodies of believers, true blood-bought seeking together for the good of the kingdom, seeking together for God's honor. You will not find yourself growing in Christ apart from the church. It doesn't happen. Do you know what happens? And and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this here. And this is, I, I don't think that... Um, Every single person that is handed over in this way, that Satan is following them home, pitchfork in hand about how he's going to ruin their life, right? Um, Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is, like, there may be demons in the house tonight, but Satan probably has bigger fish to fry, and because he's not everywhere at all times, he's got to pick a place, right? So he's probably not here today, okay? When we see this turning over to Satan, this is turning them over to Satan in the ways of the world. They will be destroyed by it, right? And this is what we see with the lost in general. This is the state that we find ourselves in before he called us to him. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And now we find him calling for this man to be delivered to Satan for for a specific purpose, for the destruction of the flesh. Let them be broken by the world. This is the, the wisdom of God here that we see is that for the heart that will not repent, handing them over to what they want and letting it run its course is wise because the destruction they may lose everything their lives may be utterly destroyed and that is it could have been avoided perhaps had repentance come can I just say like isn't that um, the exact pattern that Christ takes that the spirit takes with us that the church is just acknowledging what God yeah. is already doing on the inside of the person, just like baptism is an outward expression of the inward reality. We mm-hmm. see that the inward reality of the person who has turned their face towards sin, God is allowing them to walk that path and ha- and eat till they're sick yeah. over it. And it will lead to destruction. And here's what I will say. For the believer, for the one who is true, called by God, who repented, that finds themselves in this place of unrepentance, the best thing that can happen for them long term is then be broken by the life that they're living. 
That is the best thing that can happen to them because the result of that for the believer ultimately is God working all things together for our good. Does that include if we are the one getting tossed off the boat, getting eaten by the great fish, right? Let's consider this because it's hard to consider. But it might be that the destruction of everything that we consider good in our lives happens so that His Spirit, so that's so that if this were us in this position, that's so that our spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That God is even working that type of destruction together for the good of His people. Verse 6, So your boasting is not good. So this tolerance that they have towards this sin that is clearly open. It's so open that it's now made its way to Paul here. Like this is an open sin within the church that the church is so arrogant about the way that they consider this that they think that it's good. They think that it's good that they're not doing anything in this account. And he calls your he says your boasting is not good. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And this is where like this sin that is open that everyone sees, that everyone can see is not being handled by the church is now leavening. It's affecting the entire lump. Right? There's that risk there that a sin not addressed that might be a sin in my life can have an effect on you all. Do y'all know do y'all realize that? Do y'all understand that a sin in your life can affect me? That a sin in my life could affect you. This is, like, we should consider, we should consider this when we are arrogant and, I'm an air quote, tolerant of sin. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened, right? Like he's, he's calling them to be what they are here. They are unleavened. But now this leaven has found its way in and this sin and this arrogance and he's calling them, he's calling them to repentance here. There's repentance that needs to come from this man who's taken his father's wife here and there's repentance that needs to come here also from the church who has been boasting and arrogant and has not addressed this sin. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. How do we cleanse out that old leaven? Is there a way other than repentance? Collective repentance in this case. As you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here he's he's calling the church to repentance. He's calling them to be who it is that they are. Scripture does this for us. Like God's word does this in us. Do y'all understand that? <coughs> that God's word calls us not to who you are. Not to who you are. It would be super easy for me to stand here, for Dustin to go into the pulpit, or or Blake, or Corey, or whoever goes there, and just give you words that make you feel good about yourself. 
so that you feel arrogant about yourself. It is a much more difficult and daunting task to tell you you can be better. Be who He's called you to be. To point out sin. To call you to live lives of holiness. That's a hard task. This is a clear example of doing it. Your boasting is not good. You know the effects that sin will have. Cleanse it out. Be who He's called you to be. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate... And here we're going to get into an interesting piece, and we we have just enough time to wrap this thing up today. Uh, I hear everybody say amen. (laughs) Uh, I want you to pay attention to this. He's going to point out a couple of interesting things of note here, Um, especially when we consider what it is, how it is that we are to live amongst one another, and how it is that we are to look at the world here. He makes a very distinct Um, He draws a very distinct line here. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. The first point that I want us to make here is that he's looking inward inside the church. When When he's giving these, like, directions on how to approach this man, when he gives us directions on how to approach one another when we are in sin, he is looking inwardly inside the church. He is not saying don't associate with sinners outside of the church because you would have to remove yourself from the entire world. And the reason that you're not removed from the entire world is that you've been called to preach to them the gospel. They do not know yet. Right? So we take it to them. So the sexually immoral in this world, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters, go to them with the gospel, right? Verse 11, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, or drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And then I want to pause for a second, and I will say, how will we ever associate with one another? (laughs) Right? Right? Like, how would you ever associate with me? How would I ever associate with you? And I want to point out really quickly that the language that he's using here is a state of being. It is not that you sin sexually. It is that you continue in it. And if a brother comes to you, you've stepped through step one, two, three, you've not repented of your sin, you are a sexually immoral person. You are greedy. You are an idolater. You You didn't fall short to the sin of idolatry and repent. You are an idolater. You are a reviler. You are a drunkard. You are a swindler. And if you find yourself calling yourself a Christian, associating with the church, and you find yourself unrepentant of the sin that Scripture is clear about, Scripture tells us that's the one you don't associate with. That's the one you don't associate with. Now, 
I'm not saying that you don't associate with them step one, right? Because scripture is clear. You go to them. I see, listen, I see you in idolatry, brother or sister. I see you in idolatry. I see this particular pattern in your life. And you've, you've followed all the things that we discussed beforehand. You're not going to them boasting. You're not going to them as though you are holier than them. You're not going to them as though you have no sin in your own life. You've addressed the sin in your life. You have been in the Word of God. And God has called you to that person. And you go to them. And they don't listen. And then you bring together trusted witnesses. You gather the evidence. They still don't listen. You bring them before the church. They still don't listen. Then they find themselves here. For their, for their own good, ultimately. Because giving them over to that thing that they claim and letting them know that you may call yourself a Christian, but we don't live this way. We don't. We call one another to a higher standard of living. And then for the one that would say, don't judge me, only God can judge me. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Again, making a point that we're not doing this to those that don't call themselves Christians here. Those would he would classify here as the outsiders. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? You are to look at the way that I live and hold me to the standard of what Scriptures claim for me. You are. If you find me falling short, draw closer to the Scriptures and follow the instructions that He's given to you for our sake and for my sake. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13, God judges those outside. And He finishes with this thought. Purge the evil person from among you. Let us close. Um, I'm going to close this out in prayer. I pray that you would pray for me. I pray that you would pray that um, that we would um, be a people who follow closely God's Word and that it would have dominion over the lives that we live that we would be in prayer for one another, that we would be jealous of the lives that we live, that we would be jealous for one another's holiness, that I would desire you all to live holy lives and that you would desire the same for me. And if you see me in any way not living up to that call, that you would be so bold as to tell me in love that I might grow and that I would do the same for each and every one of you. That we would, that we would, that it would anger us the idea that sin would come in and run rampant among us. People who are called by God to live lives of holiness. Let's pray.